Thank you for worshiping with New Grace in Roanoke, Virginia this morning. We are honored that you are tuning in and we believe that God is going to use this service in your life and the lives of many others. We are walking through a very difficult and trying time as a society. As a result of everything happening in our world today, how we gather as a church looks very different. We are all used to gathering together on our church campus, but for now, we will worship together through technology. Though this is a very different format, our desire as a church is still the same. Our desire is to worship Jesus and encourage the believer. As you watch this service today, whether by yourself or with your family, I want to encourage you to participate in this time of worship. As our team leads us, let us sing with passion. As we are led in prayer together, let's cry out to God in desperation. Pastor Sean teaches us from the Word as we sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He speaks. Also, be an encouragement to our worship team by participating. Comment that you are watching. Comment on things the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. Or post a picture of you and your family worshiping together on our Facebook page. Again, thank you for joining us today as we worship the Father. We pray you are blessed and encouraged from this service today. Who shakes the whole earth with holy fire? 
Your generosity is making a difference all over the world. We're able to partner with missionaries globally to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because of your continued financial investment. So even though we're not all gathered together physically on this campus this week, I want to challenge you to continue to honor God with your resources by giving through new grace for the sake of the mission of God. There are multiple ways you can give. You can give online at reachingroanoke.com and clicking the donate button. You can also mail your gift to 1527 Guilford Avenue, Northwest, Roanoke, Virginia, 24017. You can also text your gift using your phone to 540-572-4654. We're going to continue our service now, and one thing we believe as we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. So right now, Pastor Sean is going to lead us at a time of scripture-fed, spirit-led prayer. In the book of 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he is asking them to pray for the work that he is doing elsewhere in the world. It's a, it's a call to prayer for missionaries. 
uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this. They say, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the privilege we have as your children to come into your presence and to cast our care upon you. God, we've been praying for the last several weeks for our church body, for our friends and our family here at New Grace. But Lord, this morning we pray for those that we partner with all across the globe who are working, uh, Lord, even during this coronavirus in some very difficult times and dangerous circumstances to get the word out. God, we think of the McIntosh family down in Belize. We pray, God, that you would bless them and help them and encourage them. We think of the Hudak family in Spain where this virus has hit so hard. Pray, God, that you would help them as they minister to the lost over there, that they could be a light of the gospel. God, I pray for the Smith family. Pray that you would just continue to encourage and strengthen and protect them, God. Lord, we think of the Wadocks whose ministry is in Cambodia, God. I know they're whole now. But Lord, even during this time, they're supposed to be traveling to raise more support. And now because of this coronavirus, God, they're not able to travel. They're not able to uh, present their ministry. And Lord, uh, they're not able to raise the funds that they need. And so Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would help them. I pray that you would encourage them, God. And Lord, just help them as they are eager to get back to Cambodia to do the work that you've had. And God, Lord, I just don't think of just these, but Lord, of all the missionaries across the world who are preaching the gospel who are, Lord, doing the work of the church. I pray, God, you would help them. I pray, God, you would strengthen them. I pray, God, that you would allow them to use this time to draw close to you and prepare their hearts so that when this virus is over, not just here, but, Lord, abroad, that, Lord, we could see a worldwide revival like the, like the world has never seen before, that you could be glorified, that you could be lifted up, and that you could draw all men to you. Now, God, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in each and every one of our lives. Lord, even as we gather together as the church through Facebook and through YouTube and through iTunes, God, I pray that you would speak to the person who's listening. To the believer, God, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would teach them. I pray that you would strengthen them. Lord, to the one who is lost, I pray you would convict them of their lost state and help them, Lord, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not when they get around to it, but today to realize the fact that they're a sinner condemned and destined to hell, but that you died for them and you rose for them to redeem them to, to you. And God, help them to accept that free gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit Speak through me, Lord, now. I pray that you would help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say. But Lord, help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, when I ask this question, I want you to raise your hand if it's true. So if I ask a question and it's true statement about you, I want you to raise your hand. So here's the question. Have you ever broken a promise to anyone? Get your hands up. Look around the room that you're sitting in. If there's someone in that room who does not have their hand up, they're a liar. Every one of us, if we are honest, would admit that sometime in our life, sometime in the past, we have broken a promise to someone. We've assured someone that we would do something, and for whatever reason, maybe we forgot because it wasn't important to us. Maybe uh, we weren't able to do it. Maybe we just didn't feel like doing it, but we said we would because we didn't want to hear it anymore. But for whatever reason, we assured someone we would do something, and then we failed to do it. Oxford University Press, they just recently released a study uh, that reveals and that shows how often people make and break promises. Not only do they conclude that every single one of us at some time in our life have broken a promise, but they identified the top promises that people make and then break. And here are the most common promises that are broken in our society. Don't worry, your secret is safe with me. That's a promise probably all of us, if not most of us, have, have made to someone at some point in our life, and we have most definitely broken it. When you research shows that when you tell somebody a secret, even if you make them swear on a stack of Bibles not to tell anyone, research shows they're going to tell at least one person. Here's another promise. This is not going to hurt. This is usually given by doctors or nurses or dentists right before they do something that hurts you. Right before they stick a needle in, or right before they set a bone, or right before they do something that's going to hurt you, they say, it's not going to hurt that much. And guess what? It hurts a whole lot. The third is probably the most often broken promise, and here it is. I'll pay you back tomorrow. You go out to lunch with a coworker or a friend, or maybe you go to Starbucks to get a coffee, and you order and they order, and when they're ordering, they, they reach for their pocket and say, oh, I forgot my wallet, I forgot my purse, I forgot my debit card. Can you take care of me today? I'll pay you back tomorrow. So you buy their meal, you buy their coffee, and something, you know, the day goes on, tomorrow comes, and you forget, and they never bring it up again. Say, oh, that's a mistake. No, that's a, that's a broken promise. Oxford University, they, they summarize the article by saying this. It says, we make them and we break them because some promises are very hard to keep. You know, a promise is only as good as the person who makes it. And as, as humans, we make and break promises all the time. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's just an oversight. But we do it nonetheless. We make a promise and we break a promise. That isn't how God operates, though. See, we are human. We are fallible. So we make promises and break promises. God is infallible. God is holy. 
God is sinless. And so whenever God makes a promise, you can guarantee that God will keep his word. God always keeps his promises to us. And there's a, there's a verse that I found a lot of comfort in these last uh, several weeks. And I've quoted it a couple of times in the last several weeks. And it's Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. He has said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? God always keeps his promises to us. And the Bible is filled with thousands of promises that God has given to his children. And over the past several weeks, we've looked at some of these promises that God has given to us. And we've, we've defined what a promise from God is. And here's what a promise from God is. A promise from God is a guarantee from God to his people based on his unchanging relationship with them in Christ. And these promises that we've looked at over the last several weeks, they've, they've been encouraging to me, and, and, and I pray that they've been encouraging to you. And we've looked at several promises that God has given us as his children. And just to, just to catch you up or to recap what they are, we've looked at the promise that God is faithful and he keeps his promise. We've, we've seen the promise that God is good and that God cares. We've looked at the promise that God is at work in all things for my good. We've looked at the promise that God will save us. And we've seen that God has promised that he is working in our waiting. And in these unpredictable times, these promises can anchor us to the truth of the word of God as believers. This morning, we're going to look at another promise, but this promise is a little bit different. Not only is this promise in the Word of God, this promise is about the Word of God. And it's probably a, a promise that you've, you've read, you've probably memorized, not even realizing the, the incredible power of this promise. And this promise is found in Psalms 119, verse 105. So get your Bibles open, whatever you're using. If you're using a, a Bible like this, if you're on your tablet, your phone, whatever, go ahead and go to Psalms 119, verses 105. We're going to read that scripture, and then we'll look at that promise this morning. Here's what the Bible says in Psalms 119, verse 105. You, you probably know it. If you know it, go ahead and say it with me. If you don't know it, read it with me this morning. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For a lot of you, that's a very familiar verse. You grew up in a Christian home. You went to Awana and Children's Church, and this was a verse that's very easy to memorize and, and very powerful to memorize. And so you memorize it. You've, you've known it for your entire life. You've heard it over and over and over again. I did not grow up in a Christian home. All of most of you know, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and as a Jehovah's Witness, the word of God was not that important. More emphasis was placed on the publications of the Watchtower Society, the Awake magazine, the Watchtower magazines. Matter of fact, we were told that if we had a choice to read the Bible or the Watchtower, we should read the Watchtower because we weren't able to understand the Bible enough to know what God was saying. So we had to let them tell us what it meant. And so the word of God wasn't 
wasn't very important to me. It wasn't a, a big part of my life. Even, even after I was saved, it took several years for me to understand the value and the importance of the Word of God in my daily life. And there were two quotes that I heard that solidified my faith in the power and the importance of the Word of God. The first one was from D.L. Moody. He said, The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. That's an incredible statement, and it, it really shows the, the importance of the priority of the Word of God in the life of the believer. Many of us struggle with sin. Many of us struggle with what we call besetting sins, or if you're, you're real bad, a bad habit. How do we conquer those sins? The Word of God. And I can tell, tell you from experience in my life, the times in my life where I have drifted from daily time in the Word of God have been times in my life where I've seen sin creep up, where I've seen sin begin to take over. So the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. The, the second quote was when I heard uh, from a Bible college professor when I was in college, and he said this. He said, there is not a magazine, newspaper, or book in print that is more relevant in your life today than the Word of God. The greatest way that we as believers can pursue God is by spending time with Him in His Word. You know, to me, the Bible is it's more than just a, a book I bring to church on Sunday mornings. It's more than just a reference tool I use when I, when I need some advice or I need some help. It is vital to my walk with God. It is vital to my pursuit with God. It is a treasure of truth about God and wisdom from God. These words, they're not the words of some man. They're not the story that was written down eons ago that have been passed from generation to generation. These words are the very words of God. Timothy tells us that the word of God is inspired, which means it is breathed. It's the same Greek word as the Hebrew word in, in Genesis where the Bible says God breathed the breath of life into Adam. God literally spoke these words to us. That means a few things. That means, first of all, these words are perfect. The Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is completely without error. There's not one mistake in here. You know, from time to time I, I talk to people and they try to point out mistakes in the Bible. And whenever we see something that we think is a mistake in the Word of God, it's not because God made a mistake, it's because we're not understanding it correctly. If we take the time and study it and pray through it and look at it, God will show us that there's no errors in the Word of God. This book is powerful. It is living and it is active in the life of the believer. So here's a truth I want you to understand. To walk in an intimate relationship with God, I must pursue him by spending time with him in his word. As we continue studying the promises of God and his word, I want to look at the promise of God's word 
that he has given us. And so what does God's word promise to us as we spend time alone in it with God? First of all, it promises that when we spend time with God in his word, he will speak to us. As we spend time pursuing God through his word, God, through his word, speaks to his children. Look at the, the first two words of Psalm 119, verses 105 again. Thy word. That, those two words right there, thy word, that, that is a Hebrew word, davah. And it literally means speech or utterance. Now, one commentator said this about this word. This is communication that is mostly spoken, but can come through other means. Now, it's important to understand why David used this word, because David never heard God speak. David never heard God audibly speak to him. So how did, God, how did David hear God speak? Through his word. Through the word of God that David had, he heard God speak to him. So everything that comes after this phrase in this verse is going to tell us more about how God communicates with us. The entire Bible is God speaking to his children. It is telling us how much he loves us and how much he wants to spend time with us. Charles Stanley says this about the Bible. The Bible is God's love letter to mankind. It is more than rules and stories. It is a love letter proving God not only loves us, but has already demonstrated his love for us on the cross. Through this love letter that we call the Bible, God will speak to us and he will reveal to us life-changing truth about his character about his, his heart and what is true for us as his children. As a matter of fact, the primary way God speaks to us is through his word. Right now, we're in a time where a lot of people are waiting and wanting God to speak to them. And too many people, I don't even know people today, they're waiting for God to give a sign or they're waiting to God to make it obvious. I don't know if they want skywriting or an email from God. And like, I just, I wish God would speak to me. The primary way God speaks to you as his child is through the word of God. And God never speaks anything into our lives that contradicts what he says in the Bible. You know, during this COVID-19 situation, a lot of us, uh, we have a lot of time on our hands. We're, we're stuck at home. Our, our social life is non-existent. There's no going out to restaurants. There's no going out to movies. There's no going out to sporting events. We, we have nothing to do. So we, we have a lot of time on our hands and we do not have a lot on our schedule. So I want to ask a difficult question for all of us, not just you. This is a question I asked myself, and God really convicted me about my walk with God in the Bible through this question. So here's, here's the question. Is hearing God speak to you through his word a priority to you at this time in your life? You know, we got to look at our life and, and determine what's, what's a priority. Is allowing God to speak to you through his word a priority or is Facebook a priority? Is YouTube a priority? Is Netflix a priority? Is Hulu 
a priority. It's, it's easy to tell which one is a higher priority by determining which one you spend more time doing. Now, I'm not telling you that if you don't spend one or two or three hours a day reading the Bible that you're a bad believer. But I am saying that hearing God speak to us through his word should be a priority in our life. And I know that's hard sometimes. I know sometimes the day gets away from us. We wake up and even though we're under quarantine, the kids are just driving us crazy. Or maybe you're an essential worker and you have to go to work and you have a lot to deal with there. A lot of folks are working more now than they did before the coronavirus. I know I am personally. I know John is. We, we're here, you know, 60, 70 hours a week uh, trying to get things done, trying to get some, some work done here, trying to make sure the, the auditorium looks good, trying to make sure that the, this uh, video goes out and it's, it's, it's first class and looks good. And so we're spending a lot of time here right now. Right now it's, it's about 10 o'clock on a Thursday night, and I'm here recording this message for the Thursday time because it messed up the last two times and hopefully I won't be saying it's the fourth time uh, if you're watching it and I say the fourth time you know what happened but we're spending a lot of time doing what we have to do but we do have a lot of downtime and during your downtime are you making sure you're caught up on all your Netflix shows are you making sure you're not missing any posts on Facebook and Instagram or are you making sure you're spending time with God and his word I think it should be the first thing we do I think it should be priority in our life where we get up and we get a cup of coffee and we we get alone. Maybe we we go on the front porch, we go to our bedroom or we find a quiet place in our house and we just spend just some time. You don't get to spend an hour, but 10 minutes just reading the word of God, allowing God to speak to you. This is a perfect time to make Spending time with God in his word, a habit in your life. Make it something that's a priority so that when life gets back to normal, you're, you're, you're used to and you're, you understand the importance of spending time alone with God in his word. God gave us his word to, for us to hear him speak to us, to guide us, to comfort us, and direct us. And hearing God speak to us through his word, it fills our life with joy and anticipation. And he promises that if we pursue him in his word, he will speak to us. But there's another promise in this verse. Not only will God speak to us, but as we spend time with God in his word, he will guide us. Look at that verse again. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As, as he speaks to us in his word, he guides us in our life. And the media right now is, is full of bad news. And honestly, you don't know who you can trust. You don't know which news organization is, is, is trustworthy because they all have an agenda they're trying to get across. And so and everything's bad news. Even, even still, there's a mass shooting in Canada last week. There was a shooting in Walmart, Oklahoma today. And so it's just, it's just bad news, not just the coronavirus. It's just it's a bad time to watch the news. But I've got not just good news for you. I've got some amazing news for you. God not only loves you, 
He has made a way for you to have a relationship with him, but he also has a plan for your life that is good. He wants to guide your life and he wants to guide every step of your life to help you achieve his good and perfect and amazing plan for your life. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord of the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now that, that phrase expected end literally means a hopeful future. God doesn't want to just give you a regular life. God wants to give you a hopeful future. In Psalms 105, uh, 119, 105, it gives us two ways that God guides us to that hopeful future. First way is God's word sheds light on today and it shapes tomorrow. He says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Now a lamp is most often used to illuminate small areas in dark places. When a person needs vision in a dark place, they use a lamp. But a lamp only illuminates the path right in front of you. You know, at our house, uh, we have a, a light in our kitchen right above our stove that we keep on all the time at night. It's an LED light, so it doesn't burn a lot of electricity. Uh, but we keep that light on so that when I get up in the middle of the night to take the dogs out usually or to go get something to, to drink, a drink of water or whatever, I can, I can see my path. I can't see the whole living room. The light shines through the living room door. I can't see the whole living room, but I can see the path that I'm walking. And that's helpful so I don't step on a Lego and kill myself. I need that light to help light my path. And that's the principle that we see here. The word is like a lamp that shines a light on what is front of us today. Every day we face decisions. Every day we face temptations. Every day we face unexpected circumstances. And we need more than just our wisdom. We need more than just our opinion. We need more than just our way of thinking. We need the Word of God to illuminate our path and give us clarity in those situations. In Matthew chapter 4, we see a record of Jesus as he's in the wilderness. He's, he gets baptized by John, then he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days to prepare for his ministry. And at the end of those 40 days, the enemy comes to him. He's tired. He's weak. He's hungry. And I know you're like, oh, but he's God. But he's still 100% man. So he's, he's thirsty, he's tired, he's, he's just, he's, he's weak physically. And at that moment, the enemy comes to him. And look, there's a good lesson there. The enemy always comes to you when you're weak. He never attacks you when you're strong. He always attacks you when you're at your weakest. And so Jesus is weak and the, the enemy comes to him and the enemy tempts him. The enemy tried to get him to doubt his heavenly father. The enemy tries to get him to test his heavenly father. The enemy tries to get him to worship a false God. And in every temptation, Jesus clung to the truth of the word of God. Every time Satan tempted him, he responded with, it is written. 
He used the Word of God to help him in the situation he was facing that day. The Word of God shed light on the way that Jesus was to respond in that daily situation. And as we, we spend time with God in His Word, when we allow it to set our perspective and our responses to the circumstances of, day, of the day, God will guide us. But the Word's not just a lamp unto our feet. It doesn't just shed light on what we're facing today. It sets the direction of where we're headed tomorrow. Again, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This speaks of a light that is bigger than a lamp. This isn't just a little flashlight you're using to try to find your way in the dark through the woods. This is like my backyard. My backyard at night is lit up like daybreak. I have LED lights back there that stay on at night, and it is not, they're not motion sensor. They're on all the time. Why? Because uh, burglars look for dark houses with no dogs, and I've got four dogs, and my front yard and backyard are like daybreak. It is lit up like crazy. So and if I go in my backyard when I take the dogs out at night, in the middle of the night, when they wake me up at 2 in the morning, I take them out. It's a little light that kind of guides me through the living room, but when I get on that back deck, man, that whole backyard is lit up. I can see every corner. It, it lights everything. This, is, this light that they're talking about here is more than just a lamp that guides your path. The word that, that lights your feet. The word path refers to a course of your life. It is a distance that is farther than just your next step. So as we spend time in the Word... As we allow the word to, to take root in our lives, it will shape our future because it lights the path that God wants us to go down. As a parent, the greatest gift that you can give your child is a love and understanding of how important the Bible is in their life. Charles Swindoll said this. He says, the better you get to know the word of God, the less confusing is the will of God. Those who struggle the least with the will of God are those who know the word of God best. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my children's life. That's what I want for the church and our church family. Every one of you, that's what I want for your life. That's what I want for our church, that the word of God would be a light that shapes and guides us to God's perfect future for us. So for the next several minutes, I want to give you some practical ways that the Word of God guides our lives and shapes our future. First of all, the Word, the word invites me into fellowship with the Father. As we spend time in this love letter from God, it shows us how much He loves us and what He has done for us, the entire story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire story of the Bible is the story of God's redeeming love. Begins in Genesis at, at the fall of man. God, of course, created heaven and earth, created everything in six days, rested on the seventh day, and he told Adam and Eve after he created man and woman, says, this is all yours. It was paradise. It was perfect. There was no sickness. There was no pain. There's no bad weather to deal with. There's no pollen to have to battle. It was a perfect world. And God said, it's all yours. 
I want to spend time with you. So he came down every day at the cool of the day and would walk with them in fellowship with them. But then they sinned. When man fell, their fellowship with God was broken. They were cast out of the presence of God. But it wasn't just man that lost something in that moment. God was hurt too. See, we were created to fellowship with God. And so when we lost that fellowship with God, it hurt us terribly. But it also hurt God incredibly. He lost the ability to fellowship with his creation. Because he, because of sin, he couldn't fellowship with us anymore. And the Bible tells us how God set his redemption plan in motion so that we could be able to have fellowship with him again. The Bible tells of our, our sin and how we're all sinners. Time and time again, it says, for all have sinned. For all men have sinned. For, for we're all sinners. Every one of us were born into this world a sinner. Tells the story of how because of our sin we are condemned to an eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. Tells us how there's no way we could ever get rid of that penalty. That's what the whole Old Testament was. Uh, the laws and the sacrifices was showing them that there was no way they could please God. There was no way in their own ability that they could redeem themselves or, or be good enough to come into God's presence. And so it shows we're sinners condemned to hell with no way of escape. But then it also tells a story of how God did for us what we couldn't do. It tells a story of how Jesus was born of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. How we lived a perfect life, completely fulfilling the law of God. Tells how he loved on men while he was here, heal, healing them and raising the dead and preaching the gospel. Shows how he died on the cross for our sins. How the wrath of God for my sins was poured out on the Son of God as he hung on the cross. Tells a story how he was buried in the tomb for for three days, but then it tells a story of how he rose again three days later to reconcile us to God the Father, to make a way of escape, for us to be back, have fellowship with God. Because you remember in the Old Testament, they had the temple and the, the tabernacle. And in the, in the temple, there were, there were a couple rooms. There was the holy place where the, the altar of incense was, the table of showbread, and that's where the, the Jewish priests would go and perform the, the rituals of their religion. But then there was the most holy place. It was separated from everyone, even the priests, by a nine-inch thick curtain. Only one man, one time a year, could go behind the curtain. The high priest on the Day of Atonement, he could go behind the curtain to sprinkle the, the blood of the sacrifice on the, the holy seat to cover the sins of Israel for one year. But when Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened? The veil between the Holy of Holies and everyone else was torn in half from top to bottom. God was saying, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all men can now come to God. And that's the story 
of the Bible. So the Bible, it shows us how, how God loves us and God wants to have fellowship with us. And it, it shows us how God invites us into fellowship with him. And when we, when we see that truth and we, we trust that and we put our faith in that, we are brought back into fellowship with God. We are adopted into his family. We become his. The word of God establishes boundaries for my life. You know, God's commands are given to protect us. They're given to protect us so that we can enjoy life to the fullest. They're not meant to rob us of anything. You know, in the beginning, his only command to Adam and Eve was, don't eat of that fruit. Not because that was the best fruit that ever, that ever uh, was created, that it tasted so good, and that they would really enjoy it. He wasn't keeping it from them, but he knew that the day they ate that, they would lose him. That's what the commands of God are. They are guidelines and boundaries for our life. Thirdly, the word of God, the word, provides wisdom for my decision. You know, the Bible is filled with wisdom for every circumstance and every situation in every stage of life. It doesn't matter what age you are. doesn't matter what background you are. doesn't matter what culture you come from. Whatever you're facing at any point in your life, there is wisdom in the Bible for it. In any situation you face, God's word has wisdom for you. That's why James says, if, if you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. What situation are you facing right now that you're unsure of? There's wisdom in the word of God for you. Fourthly, the word inspires me to faithfully follow Jesus. As I spend time in the word it fuels my desire to seek God, to connect with his family, to, to love my neighbor, to make a difference in my world. And finally, the word encourages me in the ups and downs of life. Every one of us are walking through situations in life. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are exciting. Some of them are hard. And the word of God brings peace and perspective to us regardless of what we're walking through. The Bible is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. To walk in an intimate relationship with God, we have to pursue him by spending time with him in his word. And as we do that, God promises to speak to us. He promises to share truth about his character. He promises to share his heart and to show us who we are as his people. But he will also guide us. His word will bring clarity to the situations we're facing right now. And his word will shape us for the future. We'll be conformed to the image of Christ. We'll be led to experience the very best that God has for us. My prayer this morning is that this promise will challenge and encourage all of us to spend time pursuing God in His Word. Maybe, maybe this morning God spoke to you. 
Maybe he spoke to you about your as you watched. Maybe he spoke to you about spending more time with him in his word. I know he spoke to me as I was preparing this. That I should spend more time with him in his word, pursuing him. Maybe that's what he spoke to you about. Maybe he spoke to you about your relationship with him. Maybe it isn't what it should be because you're not spending time with God in his word. Or maybe you don't have a relationship with God. And that's what he spoke to you about. He's pricked your heart about the fact that you're not one of his children. Remember, if that's the case, these promises aren't for you. The good news is that according to his word, you can have a relationship with God. These promises can be for you. As I said, the Bible tells us every one of us are sinners, condemned to hell with no way of escape. But God gave a way for us. And there's only a few things you got to know. You got to know you're a sinner. And if you're honest, I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how, how good your background is or, or how you were raised. If you're honest, you'll know that when the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that includes you. You have to know you're a sinner. You have to know that sin has a penalty of separation from God in hell. For the wages of sin is death. That word death is not just where our body stops, stops being alive and we cease to exist. It's found in Revelation 22 when it says, And death and hell were cast like a fire. This is the second death. The punishment for sin is separation from God forever in spiritual death in a real place called hell. You have to know you're a sinner have to know your sin has a penalty. Have to know that God, because He loves you, came and did for you what you could not do. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He died a death that you should have died. When He was on the cross, your sins were placed on Him. He was dying for your sins. He was buried and rose again, proving that He was God. Proving that He did what He came to do. And He says that He showed His love to us. He commended His love to us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did what you could never do. And all you have to do is know that and put your faith and trust in His finished work on the cross as payment for your sins. And you can become a child of God. You can become adopted in the family of God. You can have a relationship and a fellowship with God and you can learn about Him through His Word. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you so much for, once again, these promises we see in your word. And God, I know that the verse we looked at this morning, it's a common verse. It's a well-known verse. Probably everyone that's been in church any amount of time has heard that verse repeatedly and memorized it. And and you could probably, if I started them out, quote it word for word. But God, it's a powerful truth. That, Lord, as we spend time with you in your word, you speak to us. You're not a silent God, but you speak to us. You guide us. You direct our paths so that we can have the life that you want us to have. So we can experience life and all the joy that you have for us. As believers continue to pray, I want to speak to those who maybe you're here and you're not saved. You're listening, you're not sure that you're saved. And as I was talking about salvation, God was speaking to your heart. You can be saved this morning. You know what you need to do. You know what you need to know. I'll lead you in a prayer. There's no power in the prayer. 
The prayer is simply you acknowledging to God what you know to be true. You know you're a sinner. You know sin will send you to hell. You know that there's no escape for you in your own power. And you know that Christ died on the cross and rose again three days later to pay your sin debt so you could be redeemed to God. That's all you got to know. And the prayer is just you acknowledging to God that you know and believe that to be true. So I'll pray and you just you just pray with me silently, pray it out loud. Doesn't matter, just pray in your heart. Heavenly Father, Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that my sin will separate me from you forever. My sin will send me to hell. Lord, I know that I can't be good enough to avoid this punishment. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't work hard enough. There's nothing I can do in my own strength to avoid that. But Lord, I also know that you love me so much that you came as God in the flesh. You lived a perfect, sinless life. You died on the cross as payment for my sins and you rose again to redeem me to God. Jesus, I accept your gift of salvation. I accept your death, burial, and resurrection as payment for my sins. Thank you, God, for saving me and becoming my father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're watching or listening and you prayed that prayer, you accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know we're, we're so excited for you. We're so happy for you, and we want to rejoice with you. We want to help you because you're, you're in a new relationship now, and you need someone to help you, guide you to this new relationship with God. And so I want you to reach out to us. I'm going to put some information on the screen. This is my personal information. You can email me personally. You can call or text me personally. I just want to rejoice with you. I want to praise God that you accepted this gift of salvation, and I want to help you in your next steps in your relationship with God. Maybe it's coming to our church and we can help you and guide you. Maybe send you to a different church and that they are better fit for you. Whatever it is, we want to help you and rejoice with you. So if you said that prayer, please reach out today. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. And I challenge all of us, myself included, to spend more time with God and His Word. Let's hear God speak and let's let God guide us.